Good morning. It is good to be here up in the upstate from the low country. It is definitely very low down there because you walk outside and you got to bring another shirt with you because you just walk from your car to wherever you're going, you got to change it. But up here, I got outside and didn't have to change my shirt. That was cool. <laughs> well, I bring you greetings from Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Craig Tuck, and I do serve as the Director of Missions there in the Charleston Baptist Association. I also serve uh, as a practitioner in the fact that I love being in a local church. Now, I have the privilege to visit a lot of churches because we have 80 churches within the Charleston Baptist Association. It's a lot of churches in the Tri-County area. But there's one church in particular that I've been a part of for a while, and that's the Citadel Square Baptist Church, which is downtown Charleston. Long history, 1854, that's a few years back, and uh, being a part of that church has been exciting over the past few years. Uh, one of the things that's been exciting about that is that the Lord is creating a new work there in Charleston. Uh, just a few years ago, Citadel Square had 45 people sitting in 800-seat auditorium with about 60,000 square feet of property. At the corner of Meeting and Calhoun Street, if you've been downtown Charleston, right across from Marion Square, that's where Citadel Square, at one time, Citadel Square boasted of over 2,000, close to 3,000 people. They had a TV ministry. It was vibrant and thriving. And many things happened over time, and a remnant of people stayed faithful. As a result of their faithfulness and a result of a church plant that I was leading, we were able to come together and partner and see a new life come to Citadel Square Baptist Church. Well, today, we have over 500 people sitting in the auditorium, college students are coming in, of course, pre-pandemic, right, <laughs> when things seem to be a little more normal. But it's amazing to see what God is doing in the way that he is rebirthing, replanting churches uh, in Charleston. Over the past seven years, we've seen six churches with similar stories in different contexts where God has just been redeeming his church. Aren't you glad that God redeems everything? He doesn't just redeem us, right? He redeems everything, even his church. And so I have the privilege to come to you today to be representative of Citadel Square Baptist Church and now being sent out as a missionary up to North Charleston across the river and being able to help another church called Remount Baptist Church that, again, has about 45 people in a 500-seat auditorium that are struggling. And they've been saying, Lord, we want your kingdom to come. And so there's a replant team that I'm leading right now, and we're going to be coming in to help replant Remount Baptist Church. 74 years ago, it was planted, had over 1,800 people during the days of the Navy shipyard when it was there. In 1996, when it closed, we found that uh, the, the church just had struggled to contextualize to the community that was ever-changing and the economy that was ever-changing. And as a result of that, the church has just dwindled down. But again, a faithful group of people said, our hands are open, Lord, do what you want. And back on July 12th of this year, 39 people attended the business meeting and voted yes to being replanted. And to me, that's courageous faith. That says, it's not about us, it's about his kingdom and his will be done. And so I'm being sent out now from Citadel Square downtown up to North Charleston with a team of people to help replant Remount Baptist Church. And that's where I had the privilege to meet and connect with Pastor Keith Shorter and, of course, with Jason Reed as well. And just to be able to get to know their heart, I want to thank the Lord for Mount Airy Baptist Church. Thank you for your heart for missions that goes beyond your community 
beyond the borders of your geography. I was walking back in the hallway and noticing the board of people that you partner with and support. What an encouragement and what a testimony to the grace of God that you have. So I'm so grateful. And so today to stand here and be able to preach on behalf of Pastor Keith and be introducing to you a little bit more about what God's doing in Charleston and to hear from God's word is a real, real privilege. So thank you for this opportunity. I'm grateful for the opportunity today to open the word of God. Word, word of God with you as we look into a text of scripture that I believe will be very helpful for us as we consider how the gospel of Jesus is the power of God for salvation. Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, if you'll turn there with me, uh, we're going to look into a text of scripture this morning that I believe the Lord will open our hearts and eyes to see wonderful things from his word. I want to pray and ask the Lord to guide us and direct us as we look into his word this morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the privilege of coming to this place and coming to a place where we can come and pray and ask, Lord, that you would meet with us. We pray as your word opens itself to us, as the Holy Spirit takes the highlighter and begins to open up the scriptures. Today, Lord, speak to us, I pray, in this place and in this space. We want to thank you for the fact that your kingdom is unshakable that your gospel is the power of God for salvation, that in Jesus there is hope, and because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for this, and we pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, what you'll find in this text is a very interesting dynamic where Jesus was going through uh, a a part of, of the world that he walked on And he was encountering people of great brokenness. There were people that were struggling uh, with many things. He met a centurion that was struggling uh, over the the crisis with his son. He met a a man, of course, we know John the Baptist was imprisoned. Here's a man of brokenness that was struggling, uh, being contained. And now he comes to a place where he's sitting at a table, invited into a home, and has the opportunity to demonstrate what does it look like to see gospel presence, gospel power, and gospel purpose at work in the life of two people. And so this morning, if you look at me in verse 36, we'll begin there in the text this morning, looking at this incredible story. As you look there with me for just a moment, I also want to say how grateful that I am for the opportunity to know that God uses ordinary things in everyday life, to do the extraordinary among us. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that in the ordinary everydayness of life, that the gospel in Jesus is at work, and when he is there, extraordinary things happen? And that's what we'll see here in this text this morning. There's a moment, a movement really of the gospel where Jesus is coming among desperate people. In fact, let me just say with this too about Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is seen by Luke as either going to a meal, sitting down at a meal, or coming from a meal, which means Jesus liked to eat. And that's good because we're Baptists. We do that well, don't we? (laughs) We like sitting at a table. And that's the thing that you'll find in Luke's gospel is that Luke wants to display something that's amazing that happens at a table. Now, a table is nothing but a piece of wood that you sit at. There's nothing sacred about that piece of wood. But what is sacred, what is precious, and what is timeless is what happens at that table. I want you to think about that for a minute. 
Think about a table in your home where life just seems to be centered around it. It's probably the table that you eat at mostly. Uh, or maybe the one that you have special guests coming in, you use that dining room that you don't usually use, right? You use that table. Or think about tables that you'd use during the week. Maybe you borrow a table at a coffee shop or at school or at work or wherever it might be. But a table is just simply a place where you can put things down, right? And you sit down and you can have a meal and you have a cup and you can drink something and, and off you go into the ordinary, right? But not necessarily if you're meeting with someone, right? That's where it becomes really special because now that table has more significance because you're spending time with someone. And that's what we'll see in this text is that Jesus was invited to a meal in the house of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And he's sitting at a table, and as he's sitting there, something extraordinary happens. Let's look at the text this morning in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, let's note that, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now let's take in this moment, shall we? Jesus is invited as a guest to sit at a Pharisee's house table. Now, likely what happened was he was teaching, and the Pharisee invited him to come in for lunch after the message. And they probably were going to discuss a little bit more informally what is it that Jesus was talking about in his teaching. So he began to recline at the table. In fact, this idea of reclining at the table was very customary, that whenever a guest began to recline, that it meant that everyone had the opportunities to begin to have open dialogue and maybe ask the guest some questions. So Jesus begins to recline at the Pharisee's house to probably discuss theological things, and then all of a sudden, in a moment's time, an un, un, uninvited guest comes in. I will even say not only uninvited, but unwanted, unwelcome guest came in. Likely a room full of men sitting around, ready to have good theological discussion. And a woman came in, and it wasn't just someone who was taking care of the flowers in the sanctuary. It wasn't someone who probably was leading the WMU at the church. She was a sinner. And what did she do? She came in and she went right behind Jesus while his feet were behind him, kind of laying on the side. And she began to anoint him. She began to honor him. Now, this woman did not have a good reputation, obviously, because she was noted as being a sinner. In fact, she's called that at least two more times in this text. She was a person of disrepute, not of good repute. But what did Jesus do? He gave her access, didn't he? And she did something extraordinary. She displayed a love and a faith in Jesus that brought her salvation. You see, tables do this one thing first. They create space for relationships. Desperate people need God's presence. Tables 
create space for relationship. Desperate people need God's presence. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that when you were desperate and lost, that you had access to Jesus? That someone said, let me tell you about someone who changed my life. Well, this woman came in the room already believing in who Jesus was because she came right behind him and began to honor him. Now, it wasn't just, I want to show Jesus that he's an honorable guest. She took something very important to her, very expensive. In fact, it probably was part of her trade of disrepute. And when she opened that perfume, that box of ointment, it filled the room. But she didn't just open that to anoint his feet. What did she do? She took the hair of her head and the tears from her eyes, which is called heart water in the Greek, and began to anoint him. In other words, she was pouring everything out. You know what's amazing about the gospel is that the gospel, the gospel in Jesus is seeking to find that which is lost. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the gospel and that we have a God who's a seeker? You see, because this woman spent her years of hiding. She was hiding behind her hurt and her pain. She was looking for love in all the wrong places. But she was done with hiding. That's the one thing that we are accustomed to, I believe, in the context of our lives, is that where there's sin, we tend to want to hide, cover it up, and make it look good. We want to hide behind those things that we feel secure about or insecure about. And this woman was done with hiding. So she displayed a faith that was amazing. Even amidst a room full of men who a woman was not appropriately come into that same space. That was one thing that was, that was wrong in that culture and context. Sorry, ladies. But then it was also doubly scandalous because she was coming in, a person of disrepute, a woman of the street, and behind Jesus, and you would think for a second, Jesus would say, I'm sorry, but excuse me, I'm a guest in the house of Simon the Pharisee. You and I can have a conversation outside after we're done. That seemed like that would have been courteous and polite to do, but what did he do? He allowed her to come in and to honor him by taking everything she had because she was done with hiding. Adam and Eve, where are you? God asked in the garden. What were they doing? They were hiding, right? Remember the game hide and seek? Played that for years, right, as kids. Now, that's the bad news is that we're really good at hiding behind the things that create brokenness in us and that are broken in us. But here's the better news. God is better at finding than we are at hiding. Isn't that good news? And so here's the woman that desperately needed hope. She desperately needed life. You see, Jesus is seeking those who are done with hiding. Now, think about it for a minute again. This woman comes in. She doesn't speak a word to Jesus the whole time. But by her actions, she's speaking a thousand words. She's saying, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with hiding. I found the one who I know will love me for who I am and receive me in all of my brokenness. In greater Charleston, there, there's certainly plenty of brokenness. In the upstate, there, 
there's plenty of broken, wherever the humanity is, right, there's plenty of brokenness. Outside, inside of us, all around us, there's brokenness. Remount Baptist Church is being planted and replanted in probably one of the most difficult areas of our region. It's the place of greatest diversity. In fact, the population is split in three ways, white, brown, and black. In fact, it's also one of the places where there's the most crime. It wasn't too far just down the road where Walter Scott was killed by a police officer way back, and that began a cascade of all kinds of pain and division and that we've seen today in our world. So we're, we're replanting a church right in the middle of all of that diversity. And the one thing that the replant church and team has said with Remount is that, listen, our hands are open. We want to reach this community. We want to reflect this community. So what has God done? He's brought a team of people together. We have an African-American pastor that's joining us. We have a Hispanic pastor that's joining us, and we have some Anglos that are joining us. And together, we want to say, we want to enter into the brokenness, and we want to be among you and with you. And that's what I love about the gospel is that it enters into our brokenness, doesn't it? That's what Jesus did. He came into our broken world, and he gave us life. He gave us light, and that's what's good news. What's amazing is that as we look at the brokenness all around us, Simon, here in this story, the host, as we'll see, got pretty uptight about all that was going on. Here's a woman coming into the room, uninvited, unwelcomed, and unwanted, and it's his dinner party, right? Now let's look at his response in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. There it is again. As if it couldn't be more clear, they're making the, the judgment. Here it is. And Jesus answering to him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. You notice that, that he demoted Jesus from a prophet to a teacher in one moment? Whatever Simon thought about Jesus before he came in the room, it changed when this happened. He went from prophet to teacher. So Jesus said, verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, catch that, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. You see, tables provide opportunity for real conversations, for real conversations. True relationships require gospel purpose. Now, it wasn't just the woman communicating to Jesus to say, I believe in who you are, I'm abandoning all to you in faith. Now, Jesus is going after the Pharisee who's standing in the room, hiding himself behind his own self-righteousness, right? Because you catch this in this story. Jesus, as this is going on, says, hey, Simon. And what happens is it seems like Simon is saying these things to himself without Jesus hearing him. It says the, Simon, the Pharisee was invited. He was saying to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known. It's kind of like him being over in the corner of the room going, I can't believe this guy. I mean, I invited him here to teach here, and he's letting this woman from the street come into my house 
And he, she's, I cannot believe that. Hey, Simon, are you talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. You see, Jesus knew exactly what Simon was thinking. Why? Because Jesus wanted to get to Simon's heart. The woman behind him was done with hiding, but Simon was still hiding behind his own self-righteousness, wasn't he? And what's amazing about that, again, is that Jesus and the gospel seeks to save that which is lost. See, Simon didn't see his own brokenness. That's why we read the prodigal sons, and you had two sons. One was older, and one was younger, right? The older one crossed the T's and dotted the I's. The younger one took the inheritance and ran away and wasted it. But the father loved both of them, and he was trying to love and reach both of his sons. The younger came back broken, repentant, and yet the older who stayed around for so long did all the right things, remained broken and far from his father, even though he was very close to him. I grew up in the church uh, I was in uh, Sunday school when my mom was carrying me in the womb. I had perfect attendance in the womb. <laughs> I remember going to church and taking that envelope and checking off every box. I'm here, I have my Bible, I read my Sunday school lesson, and here's my offering. I remember. I could cross the T's and dot the I's, and I'm so grateful for that because I learned those things that brought me to salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the church. But if I just kept checking the boxes and dotting the I's and crossing the T's and that's what faith was all about, then I'm missing really what faith really is all about. You see, faith is displayed when we come to the place when we're ready to abandon our own means and way to God, doesn't it? And it comes when we say, I bring nothing but my brokenness. And that's what that woman did. And Jesus so desperately wanted Simon to come to that same place. You know, that's something that we long for in the greater Char Charleston area is to see people that are in the midst of brokenness to come to faith in Christ. Do you know there's, there's 770,000 people that live in the Tri-County area? And out of the 770,000, 690,000 on any given Sunday morning decide to not get out of bed and get in a car and drive to church. Of course, all pre-pandemic, right? <laughs> So that means that we're about 80,000 or so on any given Sunday of evangelical churches where people on any given Sunday are going to a church to sit down and worship the Lord. And that gives an evidence that they're pursuing or at least seeking after the things of God. That means the vast majority of people in the Charleston area, the Tri-County area, which by the way, 2028 will have 1 million people living there. They're choosing not to go to a place where they're learning from the word of God or being a place where they're exercising their faith, at least in that visible way. Not the only mark of spirituality, but it's at least one, right? So that means that we're getting into the single digits of percentage to population of church attendance. Now, if you're a missiologist, what they say is that when you get into single digits, population to people expressing a visible faith, that's when they send missionaries into that part of the world. Now you go, wait a minute, Craig, come on. This is Charleston, South Carolina. Are you kidding me? That's part of the big Bible. But that's where the SBC started back in 1682 at First Baptist Church, Charleston. 
You see, what's happening is that every day, 38 people are moving into the Tri-County area. Out of the 38 people every day, 55% of the 38 have no faith background at all. Or they, they've been to church, they've, they, they've done the, the T's and the I's, and they're done. And they're just not having anything to do with it. So they're not seeking after a place of worship or a place of faith to grow in. It's not on their radar at all. And that number just increases. And what's happening with our churches in many places is that over the country in our convention, we're seeing a decline in attendance, not an incline in attendance. Now, that sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? But here's the good news. The good news is that God is mobilizing the church and churches to partner together for the sake of the gospel going forward. You see, we need to create more tables for these kind of real conversations. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, if a lender forgives the debt of two people and one has more than the other, who will love him more? Simon says, well, I guess the one who has the greater debt, Lord. Yes, that's right, Simon. In Simon's mind, he's thinking, oh, I know who you're talking about. It's that woman behind you that you let come in to anoint your feet. She has the far greater debt, and rightly so, if you look at her life. However, brokenness is brokenness, right? Whether you're filled with your own sin righteousness, meaning that I'm going to live it up until I die like the younger brother, or you're filled with your self-righteousness, both are an affront to the righteousness of God. And what's wonderful about this story is that Jesus wanted Simon to come to the same place that this woman behind him came to. She was done with hiding. You see, tables, when you create a space and the gospel is there, it creates gospel purpose. And that's where true relationships really find life. See, this woman was an outsider and she became an insider when she came to the table where Jesus was. Aren't you glad that God brought you from being an outsider to being an insider in his family? Aren't you glad that when we were separated from him, when we were outside of the family of God, that God extended his hand and brought us into his family? People are desperate for that. They just don't know where to find it. My wife and I got a letter from our homeowners association, which is always exciting because you know they're going to give you some award, right? (laughs) Well, it was a reminder to everybody, it's time to paint your mailbox post. Well, listen, I've got a lot of priorities, and that was not at the top of my list. But here's what was happening at the same time we got that letter. I've been in ministry for 34 years. I lived in that community now for 18 years. This happened about 10 years ago when we got that letter. Every day I drive by these people called my neighbors and I would go and do ministry at the church, at a coffee shop, somewhere in the city and I drive back home, garage goes down, do my evening activities, get up in the morning and go back out and pass those people called neighbors again. And the Holy Spirit just prompted my wife with a burden and said, do you know your neighbors? Do you know them by name? We have about 18 homes on our street. Now, the cul-de-sac where we live, we knew everybody on either side because you go to the mailbox, right? You're going to meet and connect, and you pretty much know after 18 years who's right around you. 
So we could name the people in our cul-de-sac, but along the street, couldn't name people by name. So I got this letter. My wife and I and my daughter, we said, you know what? Why don't we take a Saturday, take a gallon of paint, and let's go down door by door and knock on the door and say, hey, we know you got the letter that we got. Could we paint your mailbox post instead of doing vandalism in the neighborhood, right? Can we paint your mailbox post? And by the way, uh, my name is Craig, and I've lived down here for 10 years. And it was like a walk of shame. I kind of had to do this a little bit <laughs> because folks had been there the same amount of time. I didn't know their name. We got down to the end of the street, finished all the mailbox posts, got everyone's name, and we said, okay, Holy Spirit, what do we do now? And we were just prompted to begin to pray for them by name. And then we were prompted to invite them into our house for a holiday dessert coffee around the holidays. So we went back door by door and said, hey, my name, remember me, I'm Craig, we painted your mailbox post, want to invite you to come to the holiday dessert coffee down at my house at the end of the street. Got through the whole neighborhood, came back home. I said, Rebecca, listen, I, I just don't think people are going to come into our house. I mean, we just went to the walk of shame. <laughs> they don't know who we are. Do you know on a Sunday night, 17 families showed up in our house. One family did not come, but sent their regrets because they were out of town. Now, what that told me profoundly was that people are looking for a community. They just don't know how to find it. I love the church because the church is like a table, and we come to a place where we sit down and we hear the word of God, and your pastor preaches it to you. So whether you're in the LC or you're here in the sanctuary or you're online, the table is spread before you and the word of God is placed on it and we feast from it. It gives us life. And we want people to come to this table. You have spaces and this church is a friendly church, I can tell. You want people to come in and you want them to stay at the table. But what if they're not looking at your front door? What if they're not looking at the church's front door? But what if... What if their first front door is your front door at your table where you could invite someone with two extra chairs to come in and have them sit down at your table and just simply listen to their story? Over the past 10 years, we've been amazed. Outside of that holiday fellowship, now every year we do a Christmas, Easter, and we do one other thing during the, during the year in our neighborhood, and we rotate around homes to connect with each other. And through that, we've had gospel conversations. We've had one, peop one couple come to faith in Christ as a result of that. Now, it was only because, not because, look at the missionary I am. No, it was only because I had to get from disobedience to not giving access to the point of creating a table where I can begin to build relationships. And that's all that God wants from us. He wants us to take what is ordinary for us and do something extraordinary at those ordinary places. And that's what I love about the gospel in the church of Jesus in Charleston is that God is looking to do something extraordinary in and through his church. And that's why we're drawn to go to a place where it seems like no one wants to go to that table. That table is broken and messed up and people don't really want you there. I want to go into those spaces and say, no, this is not the table that Jesus sits at. The table that Jesus sits at is that all are welcome regardless of where you've been and where you've been hiding, and you can come to this table and you can feast on the word of God and you can feast on the grace of God. You see, the amazing thing about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is something that God grants to us 
because Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. Because we had a debt that we couldn't pay. And that woman knew that very well. You see, Jesus was teaching Simon about forgiveness here in this story. He was saying, Simon, what you need is forgiveness. You have the greatest debt in the room, but you just don't know it. And that's the tragedy. But people won't know that unless they're able to sit down and we can be able to have a real conversation. But when that happens, and as that happens, amazing things happen. Outsiders become insiders when they sit at the table with Jesus. You see, we can bring gospel presence and gospel purpose to the ordinary, everyday things of life by simply sitting down at a table and open up a conversation. And it might be just simply you saying, like we've been doing to our neighbors, let me just tell you about our story. This is our story, but let me tell you how God intersected that story and how everything about us has changed. One of the things I think is amazing about the gospel is that it changes and it keeps on changing those who are changed by it. In other words, gospel is still redeeming every part of our lives. We're asking God to do that at Remount Church. We're asking him to redeem every part of this church that had strong gospel, vibrant vitality and to restore gospel history in a place where it's been broken and where it seems like it's faded away like a candlestick that is just going out. I'm so thankful for churches like Mount Airy that have vitality and love and passion for gospel and for mission. And I'm so grateful for a pastor to say, how can we, how can we serve? How can we be part of that? Even though we're hundreds of miles apart. Well, at the end of the story here, we see one last thing in verse 44. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, tables promote love for reconciling relationships. Deep brokenness needs gospel power. Deep brokenness needs gospel power. I love the song that says, once your enemy, but now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. There's coming a table one day that we'll sit at at the marriage feast of the Lamb. We will celebrate together. Once again, there's Jesus at a table eating. And there will be, for all who put their faith in him, whose sins have been forgiven, who've come to say, I, I'm not coming to him on my terms, I'm coming to him on his terms. And that is that I desperately need salvation. David in the Psalms talked about the table. He said, you know, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence 
of my enemies, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you, but I'm not inclined to invite all of my enemies to my dinner table. That just doesn't seem like a good time. <laughs> but yet when we consider who we were, where we were, in all of our brokenness, that's exactly who we were. We were the opposite of all that God is, but yet we were made in his image and likeness and he invited us in and he brought salvation to that table. And that's why David said, even though I can sit at a table in the presence of my enemies, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Gospel presence. Citadel Square Baptist Church downtown shares a property line with Emmanuel AME Church. Now you should know that name. In 2015, June 17, an enemy walked in the door and he sat at a table. And nine precious black brothers and sisters lost their lives. He sat through the Bible study. He listened to every word out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And in front of them sat an enemy that took precious lives. Three of them survived. Two of them are dear friends of mine. One of the men who's a pastor in the city, his wife was leading the Bible study that night. His name is Anthony Thompson. And I've learned a lot about forgiveness through the years of my Christian experience, but probably have never gone as deep as I have when I got to know who he was. You see, when Dylan Roof was brought out to the bond hearing and Pastor Thompson went with his daughters and the rest of the families, he told his daughter, he said, listen, I'm not saying a word. I'm just coming because I'm angry, I'm hurt, and I'm here just to support my family. But I'm not saying a word. And as he got into that room, Dylan Roof walked out, and the judge, very unprecedented, said, anyone in the family want to say a word to Dylan Roof? Anthony Thompson told me, a friend of mine, he said, listen, Craig, when I, when I heard that, the Holy Spirit said something to me. He said, get up. And I stood up. And he put words in my mouth. And he said this. I forgive you. And you need the forgiveness of Jesus. Now, in the midst of all that pain, there's a love and a grace that runs deeper than hate and evil. And it extends an invitation even to an enemy to come to a table. You see, faith comes alive when Jesus becomes the ultimate thing. For this woman, Jesus became ultimate. But to Simon and the rest of the room that began to just jeer at Jesus to say, how can you even forgive sins? I mean, you've let this woman come in and do this to your feet and anoint you, and you are now forgiving her of her sins? How, what gives you the right? They were missing the whole point. They were the closest, thing, they were closest to salvation. It was right in front of them, but they were the furthest away. You see, the reality is in our everydayness of life, there are people around us who are close to us, but they are far from God. They're far from God, just like we were. And in Greater Charleston, we're trying to ask churches to do this one thing, to become missionaries all over again. 
open up your front door, open up your table, and let that be a place where we can start the connection. And let's put on the table, what has God done in your life? You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be evangelistically trained. Just tell someone what Jesus has done for you and let them sit there and hear your story. But listen to theirs and let Jesus in that moment give you the words that you need to say to speak life. Because when someone comes to a table, it seems like it disarms all the inhibitions. Get a cup of coffee, hold it in your hand, the thing war- everything warms up. We have an opportunity together, whether you're in the upstate or the low country, to demonstrate what does it look like for gospel presence, gospel purpose, and gospel power to show up at our tables. Well, in Luke's gospel, you can go to different tables and see where it happened all over again. But it was an ordinary event. And when Jesus came to that table, an extraordinary thing happened. I want to invite you into that same missionary movement, not by just partnering with others, but by you yourself opening your door as I'm learning to open my door to see the gospel change lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ and in the gospel. I pray today that as we, Lord, ponder and consider and take in all the things that you have for us, Lord, thank you for Mount Airy Church. Thank you, God, for the privilege again for us to come to your table and be fed by your word. Thank you that in our brokenness, in our lostness, that you gave us access to the gospel. We praise you and thank you for that. And we ask this today in Jesus' name, amen.